Hello, welcome back to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I am your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and today we have on a very special guest. We have on Michael Pinella out of Orlando, Florida. He is with the Pinella Law Firm. Uh, he's not only a criminal attorney, he's also a family law attorney. And so he is someone that you're probably asking, like, Matt, why do you have a criminal attorney on here? And the reality of it is, is that a lot of people uh, sometimes make mistakes going through their divorce. Maybe they've made mistakes in the past. And unfortunately, those type of things can have a major impact on your divorce or on your breakup or on your custody if you're not careful, if you don't know what to do. And so we're going to talk about those things. We, we can't always assume that the person who is going through the divorce is going to be squeaky clean all throughout the divorce. People make mistakes and sometimes even good people can make some really horrendous bad mistakes because something that that isn't talked about enough when we talk about divorce is that divorce is a trauma and obviously if we have trauma we have trauma responses and so you can make some poor decisions but we're going to get into that here shortly let me into introduce to you our guest michael thank you very much welcome to the show i'm gonna kick it over to you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started matt thanks so much for inviting me it's really an honor to be on your show today and I'm um, just happy to be here and share. It, like you said, my name is Mike Pinella. I'm a criminal defense and family law attorney based out of Orlando, Florida. Um, and even just hearing your introduction about divorce being a trauma, I mean, the reason that I got into law in the first place is because I, as a child, I was a child and a product of divorce. And it was traumatic on my mom it was traumatic on me and it was traumatic on my brothers. And and the fact of the matter is each one of us has dealt with that trauma in the resulting almost three decades now differently. And it's manifested itself even this long, you know, far after the the experience differently in each one of us. Uh, for me, I, I decided I, I wanted to go into law. I wanted to be an advocate for for those that I felt like needed a voice, but I was so young and, and honestly, Matt, I, I, you know, having gone through lots of, uh, you know, therapy it, it myself, you know, trying to figure this stuff out, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it was an un, uh, it, it's almost sad, uh, that a 13 or 12 year old felt like he needed to step in to that role, um, mm -hmm. uh, to try to fix something that honestly a kid can't fix. Uh, right. but it, it just goes to show that, you know, for me, uh, you know, divorce is so serious. It's so mm -hmm. significant. And I think people don't quite grasp that. And when they're in my office, their brains are, you know, a thousand places talking about this and that. And what about this? What about that? It's like, it's almost like their whole world, they just, they're just coming to you saying, please help, you know, and, and they've got their ideas. Uh, but a lot of times those ideas are actually what, what is beneficial for them or what they would truly want if they were thinking clearly. So it's a really interesting, you know, place to be. I think you. I think you bring up a great point where uh, sometimes that that those decisions aren't necessarily in their best interest because they're thinking very short sighted, and that's something that I, I uh, used to tell people I work with is that, you know, the reason why it's important to connect with a therapist or talk, you know, a, a lot deeper with someone who has a lot more experience with divorce is that you're thinking about the here and the now. Most people going through the divorce aren't thinking about your life over the next ten years over the next 15, 20 years. And people who uh, are on your end of things typically see see people coming back for modifications or, you know, they've seen where, where the divorce, where lots, a lot of people say, I just want this done and over with really quickly. 
Uh, and then because you've done it so quickly, you actually really didn't do it well. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times that can have some major impacts on whether or not it even gets modified. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and like how, you know, some mistakes that some common mistakes that people might make in that process? Well, I think that, you know, right now, for example, I yeah. have uh, a client that came to me. They were divorced six years ago. I did not represent them in the divorce. Okay, yeah. I didn't represent either party. They're trying to enforce a modification because the way the divorce decree was written didn't contemplate a sale of the marital property. And mm -hmm. what it what it did, it, it was it said, "Hey, when it sells, split the proceeds between both parties." Yeah. But you know, wife gets to stay in the property and and needs to keep it up or whatever. Wait, wait. The husband six years later is trying to buy a house. He can't yeah. qualify for a house because he's stolen the mortgage over here, and the judge can't force the sale of the house a partition all of the, these years later because of the way the divorce the final judgment was written and it's it was just honestly it was just laziness in the first yep. place um but other things like that you know all of us you've got a this where i've got two kids and i'm thinking to myself oh my god like if i got divorced how would i want to do this to make it make sense for my children because yep. right now you might have a three-year-old they're getting ready to next year they're going to bpk or whatever it's going to be Right. And you're trying to write a time sharing agreement and a parenting plan with two different people for what's going to happen when that kid's in fifth grade. It, yeah. You don't even know where you're going to be. Right. Um, and so I think thinking through um, these eventualities and speaking to an attorney that, you know, knows what the heck is going on and that yeah. is actually instead of just like, oh, it's going to final judgment and move on to the next one. What are the unique circumstances in your particular case? That, you know, it, it, you might just want to be done with this and get through a mediation agreement. But remember, like, a final judgment isn't the easiest thing in the world to modify. Right. So so one thing from a practical standpoint that I would say is mediations suck. Usually both parties, uh, they're hurt. They hate each other. They love each other, too. It's, mm -hmm. it's bizarre. You know, now all of a sudden we're talking about the children and what are we doing with a marital home? And maybe there's assets. Maybe there's not. But I'll tell you right now. It doesn't make a difference. Like every divorce, it has these same emotions, you know, yeah. and everyone just wants to be done with mediation, whether it's resolving it with a fine, with a, with a mediated settlement agreement or not, they don't want to be there. Yeah. And so what can happen is a mediator or the attorneys or whatever might write up some, some mediation agreement because everyone's like, let's just be done with it. And yeah. they haven't thought through, what does this look like for me in seven years? Yeah. You know, what is, what, what about my kid? He's not even going to be, you know, in middle school yet, you know, so it's important to kind of take a step back, breathe and remember, yes, this is a trauma, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it doesn't have to remain that way forever, right? It can be a, a time for healing as well. And I, I, I think that I think not rushing uh, through these things and really thinking through what you would like your life to look like afterwards with a bright, you know, light moving forward is is important uh, one of the things um i tell people who are going through divorce is to make sure that all the loose ends are tied that there's nothing connecting you and that person because it might seem like you know you're going to get out of the divorce like you said a lot faster it, i'm going to use that example that you just gave with uh with um with your former client that okay we can agree on your wife having the house and my name staying, staying on the mortgage. And that sounds fine and dandy in the moment. 
And yeah, it might get you through the divorce faster. But the reality of it is, is that exactly what you just said, having those loose ends not tied up eventually impacted that that person. I, I remember I had a client that was very similar, that they kept each other's names. And on one of the things that they said in the decree is that they had to agree on the on the sale of the house. Well, when the wife went to sell the house, the husband wouldn't agree to anything just out of his own control, wouldn't agree to anything. If it was a dollar over, a dollar under, whatever, like it, it didn't matter. He just wouldn't agree because he didn't want to see his former wife on, even though he had moved on, even though he was married, even though he was doing extremely well for himself, just to be a prick. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I tell people, you know, you couldn't get along and you couldn't come to agreement when you were married. You have to remember that there's a really good chance that you're not going to agree on things or terms afterwards. And a lot of times that, I mean, because you're going to go two separate ways and living two different lives. And then when you have other people, you know, new significant others in the mix, that can make it, things even worse, potentially. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, is that typically what you see in like your modification cases where people kind of still have loose ends that are still connecting them outside of the children, houses, boats, those sorts yeah. of things? Like what's, what's been your experience? I think modifications happen for that reason, because there's some financial loose ends that they just didn't think through. And that would have yeah. been totally easy to resolve if someone just yeah. would have thought about it ahead of time. All right. Right. The other reasons for modification usually are regarding the children, regarding some kind of issue that happened with a child. And all of a sudden there's a med medical that wasn't anticipated, or there's a relocation that needs to happen, or you know, someone got a new job, or now all of a sudden you still have resentments and someone's like, wait a second, that my former spouse has this new, you know, is making so much more money and I want to go back for more child support. There's all those issues. But yeah. you know, I, I think I, I think what 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 you net you nailed it. I think that being patient and recognizing that your life is going to move on at yeah. the end of this, that your life isn't over, no matter which side of this divorce that you're on, and that it's really important for actually yourself the more you can cooperate with your yeah. spouse in a divorce part of what i i think my role is i don't know we could ask the florida bar about you know what what really where does a attorney and counselor at law's uh role begin and end because mm -hmm. so much in family law is counseling you yeah. know and i i think that part of my role is actually trying to get the parties together obviously in a way that's not adverse to my client's interest but mm -hmm. so many times getting an agreement is better for my client. Yeah. So if I can get the other side to just, yeah, God, I know that there's this girl that, you know, the, the, the paramour or whatever that's involved and, you know, everyone's super pissed and emotions are heightened. And I don't want that, you know, this new guy in my kids' lives, when my children go over to her house and all the whole thing, I get it. But yeah. the fact of the matter, life's going to move on. So what we can do you know, the bet the better move is to work together as much as possible rather than just being obstinate to be a, you know, able. Yeah. So um that that's part part of what I try to do. I mean, there's times when I, I'll bring in opposing counsel and the two of us will just stop and be like, listen, like we your guy's being absolutely unreasonable. Here's why my person is too. And here's how we can work together to kind of get to a solution that makes sense for everybody. But my role, of course, is to zealously advocate for my client. I'll never yep. stop doing that. Right. I just have noticed 
that the more people can let go of unreasonable expectations mm -hmm. and just being a dick to be a dick, right. uh, the better it is for them. It's the ultimate cutting your nose to spite your face metaphor. Have you, have you noticed any patterns with people who were more capable of coming up with an agreement or patterns of couples that were more capable versus patterns of couples that were not and it ended up in litigation? Like whether they had like better support systems, had therapists or coaches, um, what what have you noticed like with the type of clients that were more apt to come to an agreement versus the ones that weren't? Yeah, there's absolutely no racial or socioeconomic pattern that I've seen. Mm -hmm. What I have seen, or male or female either, yeah, mom. What I have seen are the people that had better communication inside their marriage in the first place. Mm -hmm. have a much better divorce, much less expensive divorce, much less stupid divorce yeah. um, over dumb crap that makes, you know, that is just not worth it. Um, you know, I, I can't stand billing clients over BS. I hate it. Yeah. I actually, as a practice, like try very hard not to do it, even though I'm supposed to, because, yeah. and they're willing to pay, you know, hourly and all this. It's like, I hate it. I hate filing frivolous motions just to get a judge involved to say, hey, guys, now behave. I hate the whole thing. I just don't take that approach. I'm like, guys, let's actually accomplish your goals. So what I've noticed is that the folks that had better communication styles and that are, were, are, are more self-actualizing yes. as individuals have a much better family life moving forward. Their mm -hmm. kids are much more well-adjusted. They don't get drugged through three, four years of stupid litigation all of a sudden the kid's 18 it doesn't even matter like yeah people are thinking about it ahead of time and yeah. even though they're hurt i mean mm -hmm. i'm not saying these people aren't hurt i'm yeah. just saying they're willing to set that aside for the good of their family and the good of the mm -hmm. children and say look we we have to see this reality for what it is we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna work through this and and, and not just not just unnecessarily try to spite the other person because ultimately yeah. it hurts you one of the things I tell people all the time, I say this, this as probably the third time this, well, it's a new week, but this week that I've said this on, uh, I think divorce attorneys give some of the best relationship advice because they can see things, you know, pitfalls that people should avoid. You know, uh, it's very common for people to say exactly what you just said, that, you know, communication is key. You hear, you hear that phrase tossed around a lot, but what would you say are some early indicators that two people are communicating well. If you had to advise someone going into a relationship, whether they're dating, some key indicators that might indicate that the two people are good communicators with one another, that maybe you need to improve, maybe your significant other needs to improve, or you know, some factors that, that contribute to, to good communication. In a divorce context or before, just what I see couples in general? Um, I would say like, what would you advise like someone who's like either dating or maybe they're looking for a significant other, like uh, looking mm. for like someone who's a good communicator? Yeah. I First of all, I think that the two, I think the two biggest things um, in that scenario are speaking about difficult things ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and the two biggest things that I think are, well, three our children, mm -hmm. um, and what each person's expectation of that is. And as, um, as I'm saying this on its own, taking back Sunday, started playing on my phone. <laughs> um, so I think that the, the, the things to, to get ahead of are 
both parties talking about their expectations on children, what, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, how many, if we're going to do that, whatever, if we have them, you know, what are our shared goals or what would I like to see with this child? What would you, you know, being able to talk about that money. So Mm -hmm. these are, these are things that like people don't talk about then end up in my office. Okay. Money. Absolutely. Difficult thing to talk about. How much debt do you have? How much debt do I have? What do we believe about debt? What do we yeah. believe about borrowing? What are our goals? What are our financial future? What do we want to see? Are we dreaming big? Are we on the same page? And and religion. I I, I think that those three aspects are important. Now, when, when you say communication is key, it's a flippant thing. We can throw it around. Yeah. Good point. Except when when we're on the other side of it, and all of a sudden we're getting divorced, and you're coming to me, and I'm talking about communication, I'm saying. If we don't do X, then Mm -hmm. Y happens to you very soon and in a very practical way or your children. And now all of a sudden, communication seems like it's probably more important than just a flippant phrase. Yeah. One of the things I notice with people who are poor communicators is that they're actually very bad listeners. They They just don't listen and they don't take in, they don't digest the information that people are telling them. I'm sure that you've probably seen that. A handful of times with a lot of your clients, either they're not listening to their significant other, maybe they're not listening to you. What what does that look like? Yeah, I, a lot of times um, when cl- when I notice a client isn't listening to me, I agree with you as a premise. Yes. Um, and if they're not listening to me, I don't really stand for it very long. Yeah. Um, because I know it's going to be all of a sudden I'm going to be in a divorce relationship with my client, and I don't want. Yeah. All right. I, I'm not interested in ever getting divorced. Definitely don't want to be divorcing clients. Um, I want to have good uh, relationships with them. So I'll be very direct and say, listen, yeah. here's the deal. You you brought me in for a reason. I want to help you. Um, we've got to like come up with a plan here and we'll do like your even like therapy stuff. Like yeah. how how is it that you would like to be communicated with? What is effective? Here's what works for us. You've got to call mm-hmm. my office, schedule a time for me to talk to you and I will talk to you. You know, but like if you're texting me at two thirty in the morning and it's not actually an emergency, like here's my expectation and boundaries. Same stuff that should have been going on in their original, right? You know, but it, it works because it's like I I will make good on my end of this, and and usually we work together to have um a solid relationship. Yeah, I uh, I, I heard um, one attorney say that. He'll sit with people, and after after a while, he's like, "I know exactly why you're getting getting a divorce." And so I'm just like, because they can experience like exactly what their significant other is. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Yeah, I mean, we've we've joked. I mean, we really like our clients, and we choose them pretty. Yeah. We're pretty selective. Like, I talk to myself. I talked a client out of hiring us just recently. Yeah, because I'm like, mm-hmm. it's not. This isn't a good fit because right. we're not just going to let them steamroll. Because it's ultimately going to hurt them, mm-hmm. and I care more about doing a good job for people than just whatever, like letting them, right. you know. So, um, you know, but we we have joked, and my my team and I like getting off the phone and be like, okay, she's totally right, you know, or yeah. like or whatever, you know, because the person's break. Like, what it has happened that yeah. a person will contact my office for a consultation and absolutely berate my mm-hmm. um legal assistant that's trying to help them. Mom or set up a call or whatever. And we have rules. Okay. We have internal yeah. rules. Have grace. Okay. Yeah. For the client. They're going through probably the most, and we do criminal defense too. Right. So we're probably going through the most difficult time in their lives okay, right yeah. now. And we 
are there to be a listener. We are there to be a support, you know? So we have pretty extensive patience for this. Yeah. And we get it. And most people are good people and they're just freaking yep. out. But there's this other line where it's like, no, some people are just assholes and they're constantly, you know, um, and so, so we actually think about that ahead of time about whether this is a client we do want, um, are willing to accept. And if we do, we'll set up those boundaries at a time. I'll say, Hey, here's what's acceptable. You can't just be yelling at my people. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not going to work for us. No. And then the relationship's better. It's so yep. weird. The more direct you are with somebody, mm -hmm. as difficult as you think that conversation is going to be, the better it goes. Like yeah. every time. And if mm -hmm. it does, the only times it doesn't is if the other person that hates boundaries is mm -hmm. like, oh, well, that's that's not going to work for me. And it's like, thank God we avoided that bullet. Right. Same goes for a marriage. Yep, absolutely. 100%. People all the time that you need to set boundaries. I tell people in, in dating things, set boundaries early on because you can avoid and see a lot of this. Uh, a lot of this behavior before we even get to the altar or a little bit further into the relationship. The key to happiness is yep. low expectations. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> one of the one of one of the things that I wanted to I wanted to ask, I wanted to go over to uh, the criminal. Yeah, uh, aspect of this, you know, uh, it's very common. Um, I shouldn't say it's very common. Maybe you you'd be able to tell me whether or not it's common or not. But I, I've seen it a lot where. You're going through a divorce, but you also have either a criminal past, um, a pending criminal case or situation, or maybe you've made a mistake during the divorce proceedings, whether it be a DUI, um, whether it be that you know you you had a, a DUI or DWI in the past, and they're they're bringing it up and they're trying to leverage it through the divorce. It was something that you brought up while we were talking before we started actually recording is that um, that there's no greater impact that someone could have uh, in law than criminal law. Uh, talk a little bit about that, but also talk uh, about um, some of the dynamics on on what to do. Like if someone is, you know, they made a mistake and, and now they're, you know, potentially going to pay some consequences for that during the divorce proceedings. I mean, maybe my real estate friends would disagree with me or the folks that do estates and trusts. I mean, you know, all of these things are important. I believe for me that there is no greater opportunity in law to be someone's advocate and voice to the voiceless mm -hmm. than a criminal defense attorney. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because that person's alone. That person is arrested. That person has been investigated. Law enforcement has determined, oh, this probable cause here to, you know, arrest this person for whatever. You could bring it up DUI, DWI. I mean, on the scheme of life, that's a relatively low level offense. Um, you know, and so there's many, many, many things that a person can be in trouble for. I mean, yeah. DUI is significant because it continues to come up and it's on your record forever. And, you know, you can lose jobs for it and whatever. But DUI is really common. Uh, especially if there wasn't an accident or whatever. And most non-criminals are at some point, you know, a lot of people are guilty of that. Have you ever had a drink? Maybe, you know, a couple and got behind the wheel. You said, I'm good, you know, even in college, whatever. I mean, it's a very common thing. That's why there's so many arrests for DUI. It's like, I have no idea. And, but my point right now is that then once they're there, they're just standing in a cold courtroom yeah. with a prosecutor and their state or their commonwealth 
prosecuting them for something and they're like, oh my God, what? I've never even been here before, a lot of these people. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they hire you, they hire me. And they're like, I don't even know which way's up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm scared and I'm facing imprisonment and the I might lose my job, you know, all of these things. And all of a sudden you, your role as the criminal defense attorney, in my opinion, is to stand in for that person and take that fire that is constantly coming out and defend and yeah. then fight back. And I think that it is just, it's just, I think it's biblical. I, I think, mm -hmm. and I used to not think that. I used to think that, again, like I didn't know you could be a, a Christian and a criminal attorney. For me, I did yeah. those two things. And now I look at, you know, so many pieces of scripture, like God, Jesus even saying, like, I'm your advocate before God. There's so right. many things because I think we're all, none of us are perfect. Right. We've made mistakes. All of us have. Mm -hmm. And so the, I think it's a real privilege to stand in and represent somebody that is in that, in that position. But you're talking about family law too. So I'm happy to talk about how that can impact somebody. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, uh, what, um, what would you say are some common misconceptions uh, with someone who may have uh, a, a criminal law issue um, or might have like, you know, might, might be going through some sort of case that you would represent? Well, I think the misconception, you know, if you have a criminal record is somehow that you're a bad person. Um, mm -hmm. I think out the gate, well, they yeah. did this thing. That must be their part of their character. That must be who they are. There's also a misconception that they actually did the thing that they're accused yeah. of. I can't tell you how many times somebody's like actually not guilty of whatever it is they were arrested for. They might be uh -huh. guilty of something, but I mean, a tactic of police and prosecutors, and if they were sitting in the room with me right now, I think a lot of them would be like, well, yeah is, you know, a lot of times it's charge the, the highest you can. Yeah. Um, and you're hoping to negotiate out something lower uh, mm -hmm. for maybe at a jury trial, you know, make some, you know, whatever. And then sometimes that's not true. If it's a, if it's a straight misdemeanor DUI, it's a straight misdemeanor DUI. That just is what right. it is. But in a lot of circumstances, you're not actually guilty of what you're accused of. Mm -hmm. And even if you are, the circumstances surrounding how that came to be nuanced in every single case and i think it's really important to understand the whole person guy or girl sitting there that's accused of some charge maybe it was the worst night of their life it mm -hmm. probably was yeah you know maybe they were going through a i don't know horrible divorce and they made a mistake yep. maybe and this is really common in divorce cases there you got two spouses they're pissed they're in an argument that relationship's falling apart and someone calls the police now, in that, this is the pitfall to avoid, by the way. Mm -hmm. Domestic violence is mm -hmm. taken, like, really, really seriously, and I don't, yeah. I don't blame the states for this, in, like, every state. Yeah. In Florida, where I practice, you can be accused of domestic violence battery, which carries felony-level mandatory punishments, like mm -hmm. you can't possess a firearm forever, uh, can't, you know, you got to do crazy counseling, whatever, 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 if... And this is like so common. We're in the middle of an argument, me and you, Matt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're like, honestly, just stay away from me for the night. And you touch me yeah. right here. Yeah. It's a battery because in yeah. Florida, that is an unconsented intentional touching. And if we're in a relationship, it's domestic violence battery. I yeah. call the police. You're arrested. And for the rest of your life. Yeah. You've got a domestic violence battery. Sounds so horrible. And, and that can, that, now I'm not minimizing real domestic violence, okay? Right. I've seen it. It is horrifying. Yeah. But 
police don't really that that the way the law's written, it doesn't really discriminate between like what we just what I'm talking about right now, and yeah. then you know, and re- you know, real deal, some psychological, you know, battered spouse and all right. nine yards. And so, do not use the police, in my opinion, especially in a divorce case, as a therapist. Yeah, they're, they're not trained to do it. They mm-hmm. don't. You know, they're not there with, you know, the DSM five and some counseling no. books to talk through. They're there with handcuffs and guns to make an arrest. You called us and it's not even their fault. It's like, you called us here. And I can't tell you how many times I've got like the other spouse the next mm-hmm. morning calling me. It's, I've seen it both ways, guys, girls, whatever. It's like indiscriminate. Yeah. Calling me that I'm so sorry. I called the police. I thought they were just going to break it up. He was being obnoxious. She was too drunk. Now all of a sudden they're in jail. Oh my God. And guess what? Like, in your divorce case, now all of a sudden that person loses their job. There goes your child support. It's like, yeah. what are you doing? So yeah. be really, really careful. I'm not saying don't call the police. I'm just saying don't call the police for BS. Right. How how can someone avoid? Um, let me um, I'm, uh, let me ask a different question first. How often do you see a situation where someone might be intentionally using that as leverage, or they might be setting up a partner, or someone has said, like, you know, I, I really feel like my wife or my husband set me up for this. You know, they're really trying to push my buttons, or they're trying to make it seem, or false allegations. You know, you hear people say that all the time. You know, is that is that the actual reality? Yeah, I mean, what I just spoke to was the normal person that isn't trying to really be vindictive or spiteful. They're just yeah. frustrated. They don't know what to do. They call the police, whatever, and then they regret it. Because um, that probably wasn't the appropriate response. Probably should have called a family member, yeah. friend, neighbor. Um, there's this other thing that happens, and I think it's the nastiest part of the law, Yeah, where somebody will use a criminal accusation or an injunction, which is also called a restraining order, depending on your jurisdiction, and it's a lot easier to get your hands on one of those because the burden is not beyond a reasonable doubt. Like in a criminal case, you can say, I want a restraining order because this person committed domestic violence against me and just do a sworn affidavit, submit that to a judge. And if the judge thinks it meets all four corners, you're getting one. You're getting a temporary injunction and then it's going to go to a hearing and then, you know, you guys duke it out. But the, even then, a judge might err on the side of granting that injunction because the burden is only preponderance of evidence. It's like uh, 51%. Like, okay, I maybe. I don't really believe either of these people, but all right. And now all of a sudden you've got a domestic violence injunction against somebody. Yeah. And I've absolutely seen that used as a straight weapon. I've seen attorneys counsel their clients, you know what we should do? We should go get an injunction. Wow. When there's not actually a real domestic violence issue. You know, it's just, huh. I want to get a leg up because I want more time sharing. And by the way, in thinking this through in the Florida statutes, and by the way, in Texas and elsewhere, there are best interests of the child factors. One mm-hmm. of them is, has the other spouse committed domestic violence, which is, again, a nasty sounding word. Well, we can't really get a, uh, an arrest, but if we get an injunction and we get it entered, we can then say, well, yeah, look, I've got a restraint. I'm protected. I've got a restraining order. And so, judge, that's a factor to keep the kids away from that person, guy or girl. So I get more time sharing that weaponization of the criminal and family judicial system that people mm-hmm. use to their advantage when it's not actually true mm-hmm. is in my opinion, abhorrent. Mm-hmm. And I have seen it. I've had to defend against it. I've done it too, by the way, 
only when it made sense. I've had people in serious danger and I'm like, honey, we're getting an injunction like now, like, yeah, like now. And yeah. what, what you're going to do is you are going to take those kids and go to mom's house. Yeah. And I'm filing this injunction paperwork. And by the time he comes home from work, he can't talk to you. I've yeah. done that. Okay. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. It's there for a reason. What I haven't uh-huh. seen is that people will weaponize that when it's inappropriate just to get a leg up somewhere else. And that uh-huh. complicates everything because now there's a separate criminal case or separate injunction case that you've got to contend with. It casts, it makes the other person look horrible. It's yeah. a, hey, good for you guys for having a nasty strategy because it does work until all of a sudden it doesn't. Because if a judge yeah. sees through that and sees that it was BS and you were just trying to get a leg up, it can absolutely backfire yeah. on the family law case. And actually you could lose your kids. Yeah. What are some ways to avoid it? Avoid getting into that situation like the he said, she said situation. I think that first of all, not being so quick to use the police as a mediator and yeah. the court system as a mediator is the way to go. Even in a family law divorce case, not using your divorce judge as some kind of therapist is the way to go. I 100% of the time, it doesn't work. Judges get pissed too, because they're like, listen, why are you still in front of me? Why do you keep coming back? Work it out. They want you to work it out. It's like mandatory yeah. to go to mediation. So so thing A, all right, work with your attorneys, work with the process, and don't be so quick to use the court system to fix every one of your problems, because it could absolutely backfire on you, yeah. whether that's criminal, injunction, or even in the family law case itself while it's pending. Yeah. So- that's the, what I would say. And then what was the other? What was the other? What's the and then he said, you know, well, ways to avoid the he said, she said. Oh, ways to avoid the he said, she said. Yeah. Listen, documenting stuff's important. Huh. And, uh, you know, I've, I, again, I've seen, you know, really, really bad stuff. There's, you got to check the laws in your state because yeah. surreptitiously recording somebody, which everyone wants to do. I was just about to ask you about recording because that's that seems like what everyone wants to do. Everybody, everybody wants to do it. Well, you know, we'll just you know, boom, and uh, you know, I'll bring that in court. Ah, be careful! You might be committing a crime. So if yeah. you are surreptitiously, by what I mean by that is, if you're recording somebody without their knowledge on the yeah. phone, mm-hmm. um, in your house where you have mm-hmm. reasonable expectation of privacy, uh, without them knowing, depending on your state, it may be a criminal offense. Uh, and it's inadmissible in court. So you've yeah. got to be really careful about that. Um, yeah. If there's cameras, though, in your house that everyone knows about, then they're on notice, and that totally avoids the whole problem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But be really careful to, to to not just be like acting like a PI and yeah. committing a bunch of crimes in the meantime. Oh, no, I've got them. On the other hand, I, I would say that, listen, if, if there is injuries, if you are experiencing something, document it take pictures absolutely you can take pictures of anything and you can record anything just so long as the other person knows or is at least on reasonable notice if there's financial stuff make sure that you are absolutely documenting and screenshotting and preserving those accounts knowing what they look like on month a especially if you're about to get divorced this is like the biggest problem that people have they file all of a sudden money's gone they're like what happened document all that stuff ahead of time uh, if you don't, it's not the end of the world, but if you do, it's helpful. And yeah. certainly if there's a domestic violence situation that that's that's for real, I yeah. I do say you can call the police, memorialize it, and get help and get safe. Um, yeah. I, I really don't want anything I'm saying to be construed as like, don't do that. I'm just saying don't do that when it's when it's not necessary. 
Yeah, and I think I think uh, you know I can certainly give a disclaimer because um, I, what 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 I, I know you have the same fear that that uh, that I do whenever I make a whenever I make a statement like that. Oftentimes, the people who need to do it won't do it because yeah. they're afraid of the perception, and the people who don't, who might not, are, are the ones who are absolutely running to the court and 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 utilize that one, which backs everything up. And what I what I would tell you if you are unsure or if you're, uh, you know, I would connect with i mean obviously you can connect with my content uh you can connect with a therapist you can connect with a coach who is um ask a friend or family member but even if you're not comfortable with asking a friend or a family member the, the a very quick way to do this is is literally write down all the things that you're experiencing and i want you to think about a person you know whether it's your kids whether it's a cousin a family member and ask yourself if they if they came to you and they were asking these questions and they said you know, my significant other is doing X, Y, Z to me. What would you tell them? Oftentimes, if you would say like, oh, I would tell them to go to the police or I would tell them to go do that or to then more than likely you need to do that too. Uh, because oftentimes if you're actually experiencing it, uh, you you might be dealing with trauma bond or Stockholm syndrome, um, you know, those sorts of things. And so you may be reluctant and may be uncomfortable for you to do those things, but we would very quickly tell other people to do it. So more than likely, as uncomfortable as it is, uh, you more than likely need to do it too. So if you're, you know, we'd rather you proceed with caution and and go see someone rather than to, you know, not not do it because you're afraid of the perception of it. So, uh, so if that gives you some direct, some direction, hopefully that, if you need some direction, hopefully that gives you some direction on it as well. I appreciate that disclaimer, Matt. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I remember one time as a, if you, just as an aside, if you will allow yeah. me, Oh, you know, I, um, I, w I was a public defender at one point in my life, and I remember I had a million of these domestic violence battery cases. That's why I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying. I've seen some real ones, and I've seen a lot that just were like, yeah. man, and, and everyone regrets it, you know, calling the police yeah. later on the ones that are kind of, you know. But this yeah. one, the, the, the spouse didn't call the police. Yeah. Some neighbor did. Yeah. And I remember going to it, and I was, as a public defender, you don't get a choice in who you represent, and you're required, you know, to... Give the best events you can for every client. And I, I'm a huge believer in the public defender system. I think it's, I think that's really God's work. I mean, yeah. representing folks that can't even afford an attorney that were accused of a crime. And so I really love that job. But anyway, so I'm in the jail visiting with this guy who's accused of domestic violence battery. And he's telling me there's no way she's going to prosecute. There's no way, whatever. And I start looking through the file and the injuries are, are bad. Yeah. And it, it, it like bad, like it broke my heart. And yeah. this guy was just so arrogant and whatever. And I, I remember going to court and the, the spouse was in, or girlfriend or whatever, was in yeah. the courtroom just not speaking. And I remember mm -hmm. watching the video of what happened. And when the police were trying to investigate, she wouldn't say a word. Mm -hmm. And she just wasn't talking at all. And I, I remember that feeling of, oh my, and remember, she never even called the police. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is, this, that was my first experience with, domestic violence yeah and i was struck because on the one hand i've got a job that i'm required to do and zealously advocate yeah. whatever um and on i take that seriously that oath yeah. and on the other hand i'm like this guy needs to be put a, you know go to jail yeah. and 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 he needs to go to jail long enough for her to get help to get therapy to get you know away from him and to get safe mm -hmm. it was so obvious the fact her non the non-event of it was so yep. salient and clear the way that, you know, she was just so beaten down. 
um, I was like, oh my God, you know, and, and he had some story about how it was something else. So, you know, also as a, as an attorney, you deal with these competing, um, yeah. things sometimes. Yeah. What do you, what do you do in situations like that? I think that's a common question that people have is like, yeah, as an attorney, what do you do if they're, if it is competing, you know, are you obligated to like kind of turn your client in or, or what happens in situations like that? You or is that not to your client in ever on, mm-hmm. um, well, there's very, very rare exceptions. And even then you can't turn your client in. Yeah. Um, you just cannot help your client commit new criminal activity mm-hmm. uh, under the ethics rules. It's very significant. It's like law school exam question time. Like yeah. when all of a sudden someone breaks, but no, uh, you can, you, the, the premise is attorney client privilege is for real. Yeah. It is impenetrable under, mm-hmm. unless there's very, very, you know, so, so I, you know, again, I didn't get to choose this guy. He, right. like everybody else, deserves a defense. That's what mm-hmm. makes our, you know, system work, right? Um, there are circumstances where you can withdraw from representation if you have a conflict. If you internally cannot, um, zealously represent them, then there's an out. You can yeah. withdraw. But when you're at the public defender's office, that's not really a luxury you have. Yeah. Um. And so I was struck. What 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 I did was I resolved the case in a way that was favorable to him, uh-huh. that favorable enough, um, but it did not. It it still had domestic violence battery conditions in place. Uh-huh. Um, it's what the prosecutor wanted. I did not push it like I have for every other other case to try to get that reduced to like uh, some other charge or whatever. I just accepted the state's offer like so many regular attorneys do. It's just not yeah. my style. My style is, right. I'm going to go to the wall. I'll go for a year and just yeah. totally, totally get the best result. You know, for that guy, I just let it, you know, I didn't do anything unethical. I I was there. I represented him. They offered this. I, it, you know, went to him. He was okay with it. I accepted it. And I didn't just keep going and keep going and keep yeah. going. And, and whatever happened from there happened from there, but it was, it was a tough spot. And I was weirded out because I wouldn't talk to my friends. I'm like, should I have fought harder? Should I have this? And everyone's like, I don't know what the rule is here. Yeah. Like knowing that you have the ability, like I, as that attorney and the way I would normally do it, have the ability to keep going. Um, you know, should I have, I definitely met the requirement of zeal of advocation. Like it wasn't advocating, but, um, but in that particular scenario, and that's very rare. Very, very rare. That's why it sticks out in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that's a, that's a very tough line, to, uh, very difficult line to, to uphold. I was genuinely concerned for this person's yeah. safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I can, yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like, it sounds like you did the right thing. If, you know, there was still, you know, there was still, you know, charges pressed and, you know, obviously the, the other side was happy and, you know, you did, you know, like you said, you did job. I definitely didn't throw him under the bus. That would have yep. been unethical. And, and yeah. no, I would never do that. Yeah. The question was, how far will I take yeah. the fight? And that was that was a that was a line. I just had to make that call. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you very much for everything that you do. You've dropped a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, interesting uh, details. Uh, you know, things that I I don't think um, a lot of people. Um, you know, have knowledge in terms of the the criminal law and uh, how it impacts divorce and relationships and that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, tell tell everyone where they can find you at and like if they want to connect with you, if they want, if they feel like they need to work with you or if they want to refer a friend or a family member, uh, what's the best way for them to connect, uh, contact you? Sure. Our, again, uh, Hanella Law Firm in Orlando, 
Florida. We take cases all throughout the state of Florida. Criminal defense and family are our main practice areas as well as others. So if you have a case you're not sure what to do, we will be sure to get you to the right attorney. Uh, you can find me online at Pinella, P-A-N-E-L-L-A Law Firm. And that would be for Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, TikTok, I'm actually uh, Michael the Lawyer. And, you know, certainly happy to help you. We, you know, would be honored if you gave us a call and, and we'll, if we can't help you, we'll get you to the right place. And speaking of that word, Matt, truly a privilege and an honor to be uh, invited on your podcast. I had a lot of fun. Of course. Thank you for bringing me here. Not a problem. We, we appreciate you. And if you guys are watching, if you guys are listening, make sure you guys go down to the comment section and you let Michael know exactly uh, something that maybe you've learned today that you didn't know before. Something that maybe uh, maybe that you're gonna gonna use in your upcoming divorce, or something that, uh, or just uh, just in general, just show your appreciation. Make sure you go to all of his social medias. Make sure you guys give him a follow. Uh, let him, you know show him some love and support. And uh, also all of his all of his contact information will be in the show notes. So go into the show notes as well uh, if you need to the, need to contact or reach out, or if you just want to follow in general to get some of his legal advice. All that being said, thank you so much. This is the, the Matt Pfeiffer experience, and we will see you in the next episode. You guys have a good one.